Welcome to Nevertheless, She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie. Every Friday, I post interviews about mental health, dialectical behavioral therapy, and teenage life. These episodes break down my mental health journey, teach skills to help you cope with life, and showcase testimonials from teens just like you. Whether you've struggled yourself or just want to improve your mental fitness, this podcast is your inspiration to live a life you love and keep persisting. Hello, you guys. Welcome back to another episode. Happy Friday or whatever day it is that you are listening. I hope you are having a wonderful week. So this week, I have my very close friend, Daisy, on the podcast. We went to therapeutic boarding school together. So we were in treatment together a bit over a year ago now at this point. So this episode is a little bit different from what I normally do because it's much more conversational and relaxed as we do of that rapport as being really close friends, living together, literally sisters. So I wanted to give a couple of disclaimers before we get into the full episode. First and foremost, I want to give a trigger warning. If you have struggled with sexual assault or rape, I want to kind of give a warning at this point and say this episode is not for you. Additionally, we do really dive deep into the trauma that wilderness therapy and intensive treatment can cause. And so I want to, again, say that I full-heartedly support therapy. And my treatment journey, especially at McLean Hospital, was what saved my life. It changed my life and it saved me and I am forever grateful for that. And there's a huge lack of regulation in the field of adolescent treatment and especially intensive adolescent treatment. And so this episode is meant to bring light on that and not to say that it's not effective for everyone. This was our experience. And again, I do stand behind therapy. I do stand behind treatment and research is extremely important and it's very crucial as a parent or as a guardian to think about, do the pros outweigh the cons of this situation? Is this absolutely necessary to uplift my child and remove them from home to get treatment to help their mental health? So, given that disclaimer, I am so excited for you to hear this episode. It's honestly hilarious. Daisy has one of the craziest personal life stories that I've ever heard. As I say in the next couple of minutes, like, if there's a party story, it's this girl. So, I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and yeah, let's get into it. Okay, so Daisy, I wanted you to come back on Okay, first of all, if you guys haven't listened, way back in the archives of the podcast, Daisy was on, I think, episode three or four. I don't recommend you listen because I was a really bad interviewer and the episode was absolute shit. I just want to give the context. This is Daisy's second appearance, but I don't recommend you listen to the first one. So, Daisy Bird Graham has one of the most interesting life stories that I've ever heard in my whole life. Like, if there's ever a flex at a dinner party of like, oh, I know a crazy it's Daisy. Like, this is the person. So who not to have on the podcast? So I was born in Union City, Tennessee, which is a very small town in uh, the South. The man that delivered me delivered my father. And then that doctor's father delivered my grandfather uh, all the way back for a very, very far time. So you can get the vibe of Union City that way. We love it. Um, it. My mom was a 20-year-old hippie and my dad was a 35-year-old restaurateur. So my mother got pregnant with me, and then my great-grandparents said that they would not include me in the will and that I would not be able to be a gram if they didn't get married. So then they got married. And this from is already, there... like, so whack. Like, guys, this was less than, like, 18 years ago. <laughs> like, let's just put this in perspective here. This is not the 18... 18... <laughs> okay, continue. Oh, my God. So... 
then they ended up getting married and their first wedding actually first, the first, first time wedding. the first time they tried getting married my mom didn't show up left okay, my dad at the this. altar yes it was like a multi-million dollar wedding and my mother didn't show up and so then after having a discussion with my grandmother about where my mom wanted to go financially in the future yeah, so my my grandmother sat down with my mother, had a stern little talking to her about where she wanted to financially be in the future, and then they got married in our parlor, in the parlor of the house that my father grew up in, that my grandfather grew up in. So I want to ask why this discussion, this is so off topic, why did this discussion change the tra- trajectory of getting your mom to marry your dad? I don't know. I don't know what happened in that discussion, but I also know that the... My uncle's fiance, mm-hmm. they were going to get married. She was a gold digger. And <laughs> she, on like the night before they were supposed to be married, she blinded my uncle. Um, like, her and her brother beat the shit out of him. <gasps> and she threw a stiletto at his eye. Oh. And it never recovered. And she kept the ring. It, it was a, a family heirloom ring. And when we were trying to get it back, she said that she had lost it in Katrina. But then my grandmother drove down to New Orleans in her BMW. So this woman, for years, had refused to give it back. So finally, my grandmother drove by herself to New Orleans. And we don't know what happened. We just know that she came back with the ring. So there's a lot of, like, Hamilton-esque the rumor had happened vibes going on right now. Yeah, so... Over and over and over. Yes. So then, to me, though... So my father put me on a horse when I was three years old. And it was just a fun little lesson. It was like a birthday party, I think. And the trainer said, oh, wow, she has a very natural gift for horse riding. And my dad said... How would she be able to know that from like a petting zoo? Horse riders have a certain... It wasn't a petting zoo. It was was a lovely barn. It was just a birthday party. Yeah, it was like a real trainer. It was a real trainer. (laughs) Like Daisy's at the farmer's market. She has a gift. Yeah. No, but she was like, oh, wow. Like, it was just something that you throw in, like, just, oh, like, she would be a good horse rider. And my dad yeah. was like, I'm sorry, what? Tally? Okay, so then now that's her thing. And so from there, I got my first pony at three years old. His name was Pink Charlie. That's because I wanted to name him Charlie, and my little sister wanted to name him Pink. So both. Awesome. So my dad said, compromise, Pink Charlie. Love it. I went on to pony finals with Pink Charlie. And then I got my real horse, my first real horse, Eli, at seven. Uh And that's when I started to do the super competitive stuff. And Mm -hmm. then at 13, I bought Archie. And Archie was my first show horse. Mm -hmm. And I'll post a photo of Archie on the Instagram, guys. If you want to see Archie, Archie's a beautiful man. He's he's a beauty. And Archie was from this woman named Ann White. And Anne White is a very important person. So my parents had this have this dream for their children that we're all going to be the best in our fields, no matter what it is. Anne White, when I was 13 years old at the St. Louis Charity Horse Show, I bought Archie there and then I went back home. And Anne White very casually was like, you should come stay with us next summer and like ride with us. And most people would have been like, oh, ha, ha, yeah, like, sure, we will, of course. Yeah. My father said, 
Oh, so you're going to Kansas. So my Great. mom calls Kansas. How the soon people can we in- book the flight? Yeah. My mom calls the people in Kansas and she says, so are you serious? Can Daisy come stay with y'all for the summer and do horse riding? And that's when my entire life changed. I feel like that was, I was the most anticlimactic way you could have said that. And that's when my entire life changed. <laughs> and that's when my entire life changed. Boom. Okay, continue. <laughs> As a 13-year-old girl who thought that I was really good at horse riding, and I was thrown into the well, you extreme. I, I was good, but I wasn't. I wasn't these people good. Okay. I was riding with elites. Okay. And so I was thrown into this world of extreme horse riding, riding with Olympians, riding with very highbrow riders, and it was the best experience of my life okay, honestly so, it's i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna okay. elaborate i feel like so, you have some juxtaposition going on my entire life i was trying to escape union city i was trying to escape my parents i was trying to escape Why? my stepmother i had well, felt maybe we should the, wrap horses and then go back to family okay okay that probably okay, makes cool. more yes okay so with horse riding i ended up living with this woman full time so i was paying her to be my horse trainer mm-hmm. and also she was supposed to be my parental figure she was supposed to be my mother so it was an extreme blurred line of who what role we were playing if we were playing mother or daughter or if we were playing client trainer mm-hmm. and so it would be things like she would be making me dinner and we i would be eating with her family but then after dinner she would tell me that i need to write her a check for ten thousand dollars it's a I very magic it's a very uncomfortable situation where you don't really know where you stand. And so I did that every summer up until my freshman year of high school. And then my freshman summer, my parents said that I could live there full time. And I, I stopped doing regular high school. I did online high school to be a professional horse rider full time and break into the Olympics. It was here that I experienced a lot of the trauma that I've had Like, I had a really debilitating knee injury that still hasn't really healed. I was slung off of the horse, spun around, flipped over the front of the horse onto the jump, and then slammed against a concrete wall. You know, everyday things. (laughs) She says casually. Moving on. And it was a daily occurrence to see people get knocked off of horses in ways that they will never recover from. You, you see people crying, and, and you see mothers running out to their daughter in the middle of the arena and not not wanting to touch her. You can't touch them if they fall yeah. off a horse because you never know if it's a broken spine. The ambulances, the EMTs. Riding a horse is one of those things where you are constantly scared the entire time. The part of you is telling you because you're out of control. You are completely out of control. No matter what trainer tells you that you have this control, you have this, these choices, at the end of the day, the horse can do whatever it wants. The horse can kill you, literally, can murder you. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's like those videos you see about, like, shark attacks. It's like, they don't want to hurt you, but they can and will. Oh, my God. Well. Crazy. So, because horses are prey animals, so they're terrified by anything. Mm-hmm. Like, my first horse, Eli, anytime the wind went through the trees, he would dart. I mean, like, start running like a racehorse. Yeah. Archie wouldn't go near water. And it was just these things that people, it, you were horrified 
about regularly, but you you couldn't do anything. You, you mm-hmm. couldn't you couldn't say no. You couldn't look at your trainer and say, "I'm not comfortable with that. I don't want to do that. I'm scared." That what was would an option. If you did that? I I don't know. I never did. No dinner for a week. It's you don't say no. Yeah. But the reason that I decided to do this whole horse riding thing was mainly to escape my family in Union mm-hmm. City. So wow. Union City is one of the most toxic environments in the world. My mother calls it a vortex. Union City in the 80s had more millionaires per capita than that we were in the top 10 cities of millionaires per capita That's for a town of 10,000 people. That's insane. Because uh, it the Union City concept is you have a son, your son goes off to college, then he goes to some large city, or that be New York, San Fran, Atlanta, and he makes all of his money, he makes his fortune. Mm-hmm. He finds a wife, some poor wife who doesn't know what Union City really is. And then later on, when they want to have kids, and when this boy's father has gotten old, he moves back to Union City, takes over the family business drops whatever previous business he had and his wife is stuck pregnant in a town where she doesn't know anyone where everybody knows each other that's why union city also is in the top 50 in the united states for divorces (laughs) for a town of ten thousand people oh my god and it's so we have an incredible amount of wealthy people with no emotional intelligence whatsoever Union City runs on high school football. It's literally like you see in the movies. Everybody is there <laughs> on the weekends. Even people with, that don't have kids in football. Like, yeah. just adults. Random adults. Just Are just up, at you know. the high school football game. And uh, there are five founding families of Union City. They're mm-hmm. not really the founders. They didn't start Union City. But they're the ones who have all the control. Yeah. I can't... I don't think I can legally say their yeah, names. Yeah, don't say names. <laughs> guys. This might be related to the FBI. It might not. We don't know. <laughs> But the Grams are one of them. So the Grams are one of them. Okay. Daisy's a Gram, in case that was. I am a Gram. So my parents got a divorce when I was five years old. Mm -hmm. If you couldn't tell from the beginning of this episode when I said that my mother was a 20 year old hippie from Connecticut and my father. She had the long hair, boho style, like long skirts. She's a yoga teacher. And my father is a southern restaurateur born and raised in a mississippi lifestyle grew up doing gentlemanly sports like fox hunting and (laughs) that's a gentleman that's okay that's a sport like fox hunting bear like on a horse i don't know like a horse no on a horse you know fox hunt where you ride horses through the (laughs) wood okay wait okay back up so how why would you not just like go on a in a car well no you you hunt the fox through the woods on a horse so you let the fox out of a cage oh wait so you can't you can the fox in the you first pre- place. it's a game this is it's whack. a hunting game oh my god i don't i don't know how much this attributes to my trauma <laughs> I, I, I think know. very minorly or not at all, but I'm just, I've never heard of this ever. Yeah. Okay. So he, he was, he was raised a Southern gentleman. Yeah. And he ended up going to the Culinary Institute okay, wait, of America. Really quickly, is there like a warehouse of foxes? 
No, you get the fox, like, just right before. Okay. Okay, I just have to yeah. clarify. Continue. One fox at a time. Just, we're going to yeah. have to discuss this more later. I've yeah. never been so confused. Yes. So, my both of my grandparents went to Old Miss. Both of my grandparents went to Old Miss. Both of my great-grandparents went to Old Miss. And it goes very far back. Old Miss is the University of Mississippi, for those of you that aren't in the SEC. I didn't really know what that was until I met Daisy either. Yeah. So... We are Mississippi people, and there's a lot of expectations growing up in the South that people don't really associate with the South. A lot of people associate the South with, you know, the whole redneck stereotype of, like, Mm -hmm. people pregnant before 16 and, and the whole southern redneck but that's really not what the south is the reason that you think of the south in a redneck sense it's because the wealth gap is so large in the south Mm -hmm. so you are either very very wealthy in the south or you are very very poor there is no in between so growing up if no one makes a documentary about you someday i'm gonna be extremely disappointed in the entertainment industry like you know what it's like like i don't let me think title (laughs) The trauma of Daisy Bird, like you know, like where mm-hmm. it has like the newspapery, like yeah. I'm gonna have to pitch that to someone. Yeah. So my family, my parents obviously had a divorce, but it wasn't a very messy divorce because my mom just gave up, and mm-hmm. the person presiding over the divorce was from Union City. Both lawyers were from Union City. Went to high school with my dad. <laughs> it's the the law the judge presiding over the case was my uncle's godfather. There's, oh my god. There's no sense of justice. Yeah. So, my mom slowly tapered off with custody, and that's where my parents like to think that a lot of my trauma came from. It's from that divorce, but that is mm-hmm. not the case. The majority of my trauma came from growing up in a household with this much pressure. Mm-hmm. I was wearing Spanx at nine years old because my family thought that I was not skinny enough. Nine years old is ever third Spanx. and fourth grade. Ever. Yeah. So oh I was wearing Spanx with my dresses then. I had to get a Brazilian waxing at 12 years old so that I would look cute in a bikini for our family trip to the Virgin Islands. Oh, my God. I was not allowed to cut my hair. From when I was seven years old until I cut it for the first time at boarding school. Which was last year, guys. And my dad cried. <laughs> oh my god, did he? I didn't even know that. Yes, he cried. Because he has a serious attachment to our childhoods, and that was sort of the last thing he was holding on to. Yeah. And so I was desperate to escape. I was desperate mm-hmm. to escape what Not I was experiencing day to day i have some issues with my stepmother (laughs) to you (laughs) pretty pretty in-depth issues i would say (laughs) we have never had a very good relationship i look i'm almost a carbon copy of my mother Mm -hmm. and that never sat well with her Mm -hmm. and we have had serious issues for most of my life Physically, for, I'd say, middle school, I was mm-hmm. it was some physical issues. And then after that, it's just an emotional beratement. But that's why I was so desperate to get out. Natural. So then, then I'm going gonna, gonna to go into the end of Kansas. Mm-hmm. 
So after living in Kansas for four months, I had a phone call with my therapist on October the 2nd. Tom Petty also died on this day. Oh, perfect information. I'm glad we put So that's an omen. It's it's an <laughs> omen because Tom Petty died on this day. So uh, it was October the 2nd. Tom Petty had died. I had just received words that Tom Petty had died. A tragic day. <laughs> and then I had a phone call with my therapist, and she said, I have reason to believe that your parents are coming to get you today, that you will see them by the end of today, and they're coming to get you from Kansas. Okay, I think I either would have died on the spot or run away and join the circus like i don't know it sounds so i knew i knew it i had i contacted all the people in kansas they came Mm -hmm. to pick me up from where i was doing my online school and i went to go get the areas right my my room as ready as i could Mm -hmm. and then they calm about talking about this like that's what's crazy i know so then they came and got me and it was a whole ordeal there was screaming and crying and it was it was horrible. It was one of the worst days of my life. And they were like, they eventually found out that the therapist had told me. And then they like. Did they fire her? Sort of. I, I think I had a few more meetings with her, but mm-hmm. they were pissed at her. And I, I go back home mm-hmm. to Union City and I had four months of punishment. So four months of punishment. I feel like I forgot about that somehow. I felt like we skipped over it at some point. Like, I don't even know where I thought that was. Okay, four months of punishment. So four months of punishment is what my dad called it. So it was four months of living for Kansas, living in Kansas. I was going to have to pay for it for four months of misery at home. What were you being punished for, for in Kansas? That is a question that everybody asks. Mm -hmm. There's not really a clear answer. Mm -hmm. You need to be logic. Yeah, I don't know what I really did. Nothing went horribly wrong. So to but, this so day, to my... give listeners context, Daisy has been in how, however many years of therapy, intensive treatment, boarding school, and still does not have an answer about these four months that she's about to discuss. Nope. <laughs> Mad. Okay. Four months. Anyways. Yeah, so four months of punishment mm-hmm. included... For the first two weeks, I was only allowed to eat lean proteins, drink water, grapefruit, and celery. If you don't know this, grapefruit and celery, it uh, requires more calories to consume them than they have. Because my parents thought that I had gained too much weight. So that was the first two weeks. For the rest of the four months, my parents had put me in the nursery... They had given my bedroom to my little sister Stella. They gutted the nursery. It had white walls. Wasn't one there a dresser. ghost in there as well? Yeah, we can't get into the ghost. Okay. There were white walls, white bedding, one pillow, one duvet, one dresser, one bedside table, and one lamp. I had two outfits. My parents picked the outfits in the morning, and they dictated my day. I wasn't allowed to have any technology. I couldn't speak to any of my friends. I was... You haven't even gotten into the treatment yet. Yeah. (laughs) Just to clarify, this is not a psych ward. I was not allowed to speak to any of my friends. I think I said I was not allowed to go anywhere except for... I woke up in the morning. I went to go work. I woke up at 4 a.m. to go work at the Coke plant from 4 to 7. My family owns Coca-Cola bottling companies, so one of the Coke plants. 
Mm-hmm. And from there, I would go home, change into school clothes. School clothes was just what my parents picked out for me to wear to go to the office, my father's office, to do schoolwork. Nonstop, no breaks for seven hours. Oh Afterwards, I would go home, and I was had to do an hour kickboxing a day at the local kickboxing gym. From there, I did nothing else. <laughs> this was for four months. Mm-hmm. No, but if I saw someone on the street, I had to keep walking. I I feel like I'm missing something though. It's a part of four months of punishment. No makeup. Oh, no makeup. Mm-hmm. That's right. No makeup. No hair tools. And my uncle died during these four months of punishment, and I was not allowed to wear any makeup to his funeral, which sounds like stupid to the normal person but in union city that was one of the most traumatic things ever <laughs> uh we went to disney world during these four months i was not allowed to pick out my own clothes and how old were you sophomore year how old are you in your sophomore 16 uh, yes i turned 16 during four months of punishment no driving of course no birthday yeah no i wasn't allowed to celebrate my birthday oh. and i was recovering from an injury, horse riding, and then I finally told my parents that I was never going to get on a horse again mm-hmm. and to sell everything I had because I was done. Yeah. And this was the lowest point of my life by far, but this is why one of the reasons that I think to tell people that it's so important that people realize that mental illness is literally a chemical imbalance in your brain because I had every reason to want to die during those four months. Mm -hmm. I had every reason to just be miserable, but I don't have, I mean, I have chemical imbalances, Mm -hmm. but I don't have the particular one. I, even in those horrible circumstances, and even when we get into wilderness and the horrible Mm -hmm. circumstances of wilderness, there was never a time that I thought that there was no way out. I could always see the light at the end of the tunnel and I never I never wanted to end it or because even at the end of it I still loved life. I still loved living and I loved everything that the world had to offer and I wanted to be a part of it. In fact, that's part of where all the despair came from mm-hmm. was the lack of being allowed to experience life. And I feel like that's a lot of mindset as well. Like there's the portion, which is the chemical balance that did not allow you to get depressed because most people in that environment would have immediately just had that extreme amygdala response and gone so depressed. And also your positivity and mindset is so unlike anyone that I've ever met. So I think it's a good mix of the two. So if people could learn to see that positive and have that zest and love for life that also right. contributes to not experiencing that depression. So just definitely and, a balance, but crazy. And I think that the, the main thing is, is with growing up, while my family gave me all of that trauma, they also showed me all that life did have to offer. I've been all over the world. Mm-hmm. I've experienced all sorts of activities and different people and, and different cultures. And I've, Doing all of that made me realize that it it was, this has to end. Mm-hmm. It can't, it can't go on like this forever because eventually my life is going to go the way that I want it to go. Mm-hmm. And 
the only other time, the only time that's ever been worse than those four months of punishment was wilderness. Mm-hmm. But I'll get into wilderness, and well, I'll, it leads right into why I got sent to wilderness. So over four months of punishment, I had an ACT tutor named Blank. We won't. We won't discuss her name. Okay. Yeah, she's a horrible woman. She is a incredibly aggressively Christian woman who pushes her Christianity on all of her clients, mm-hmm. and. There, I met a boy named Charles. Is that really his full name? That is his first name, yes. Did not know. Charles, the first time that we ever got together, I was raped, basically. Not basically, just regular. I just regular? Okay. (laughs) I wasn't able to call it that. For years, not even when I did treatment with Stade D, I didn't call it. Yeah, that. that was a bit of a shock to me that you just said that. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I said no about 40 times, and then I finally said yes, but I cried the entire time, and apparently that is definitely one of the definitions of rape. And then I started dating him for two years. Wow. Yes, and... It was because what I've learned in learning about myself mm-hmm. is I was receiving no emotional connection or love from anybody for those four months. Yeah. And it opened myself up. Except for Della. To Della. Dexter. Yeah, except and for Stella. Dexter and Stella. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the twins, but they're my siblings. So, this. And as terrible as that is, those super negative moments allow you to appreciate those moments of relief more and so that's another we talked about how to decrease that emotional intensity but when you're dealing with that when you're sitting with that immense discomfort utilizing that skill of okay this is impermanent I'm gonna sit here I'm gonna be mindful of the wave of anxiety of fear of depression that is coming over me and how at some point this is more intensive I have these moments of relief because my body can't maintain this emotional emotional distress for a long period of time and it will eventually pass. And so I want to leave you with that. But I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of DBT Education. Send me a DM on Instagram if you want more of these, and I can definitely start doing them more regularly. I love DBT. It saved my life. I say it all the time. But I, I really wanted to do this episode this week. So let me know if it was helpful. Let me know if you want me to do more skills education. And I will also link my previous DBT education episodes in today's show notes. So if you enjoyed this episode, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, share with your friends, family members, post about it, whatever you want to do. You can follow me on Instagram at at She Persisted Podcast. I'm on Twitter at at Persist Podcast. Facebook at She Persisted Podcast. You can go to my website, ShePersistedPodcast.com to sign up for the newsletter basically anywhere you can find me. So yeah, without further ado, thank you for listening and I'll see you next Friday.